So Money Episode 639, Emma Johnson, author of The Kick-Ass Single Mom. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. It is Monday, October 16th, 2017. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our topic today is single motherhood and how to make it work financially, romantically, professionally. Our guest today is an expert on all of those fronts. Her name is Emma Johnson, and she has been a guest on this show before as the founder of WealthySingleMommy.com. She's built an incredible community, an empire really, around single motherhood and how to make the most of it. Emma, thanks to the popularity of her blog, has a new book out now. It's called The Kick-Ass Single Mom. Be financially independent, discover your sexiest self, and raise fabulous, happy children. Emma was first on So Money on episode 298, talking about her blog. Now she's back talking about this book and the advice that it gives to mothers on how to build their own wealth, ignite romance, and raise great families. I think it's actually something that all parents can learn from. It's not just a Bible for single mothers. I think it's got some really great rules for all of us who have children. Here we go. Here's Emma Johnson. Emma Johnson, welcome back to So Money. Author Emma Johnson, congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to join your club. I have been waiting for this book probably since we've we met. Uh, we met a few years ago, and I understand in reading your book that the kick-ass single mom was more or less an idea that you had even before you were a single mom when you were married and you were at a, a book writing workshop, and this was something that you were fascinated by uh, before it really became a personal issue for you. So, uh, and thank you for mentioning me in the book. I understand that <laughs> I am a resource for you. Yeah. Oh, you have, I loved, I loved your book. Um, yeah, so it is, it's so funny. I had this buried memory. Um, I've been a single mom myself for geez, like eight, nine years now. Um, and I've been full, I have had my, uh, my blog wealthy single mommy for five years. So I've been very immersed in this whole trend of single motherhood and what it means. I mean, deep diving into it, but it wasn't until I started writing my book last year, right? Yeah. Last year that I realized, I had this buried memory that when I was, I was married, but I had not yet become pregnant or become a mom. And I had this idea for a book about single motherhood. I was raised by a single mom and I had always been fascinated by how that had shaped me, how this whole new generation of divorce that happened in the seventies and eighties, which I'm a product of my parents got divorced in that, in that surge, how that affected this whole other generation of kids and how it was affecting us now that we were becoming adults and parents. So I, I just really feel like I have kind of met what I'm supposed to be doing at this stage of, of life and, and just kind of owning this, this space of single, single motherhood. Isn't life funny like that? So funny. It's so So, weird, but you gotta, you just gotta go there. If you had written the book, you know, 10 years ago, uh, how would it have been different compared to the book that you wrote today? Would it have covered, in other words, what has perhaps surprised you or come to, 
your realization that's new and interesting that uh, the book 10 years ago would not have necessarily mentioned or included? Um, well, if I wrote it 10 years ago, it would have sucked. Whereas I think <laughs> whereas I think my book, The Kick-Ass Single Mom, is I'm very proud of it. Um, I mean, look, this that was just a, sort of an academic journalistic pursuit. Um, it was a, it was personal because it was coming from my own childhood experiences. That was kind of the nut of it. But here, I mean, I, being a single mom and then, you know, now it's like, I'm so immersed in this. I've had my blog. I've got this really deep online community. I, I really know all the research, all the statistics. I'm, li- I mean, this is my full-time job now. This is what I've been doing for the last year and a half, full-time, part-time for many years before that. So, I mean, this is, it's really my real passion. This is um, because I've lived it. I've lived as a child of a single motherhood and I've lived it as a single mother myself. And also I feel like I would have always only been really looking backwards so much. My point of reference was those years, the 70s, 80s, 90s, as I was coming up, whereas now the story about single motherhood is so different and really much more positive than those years. And um, and so the story that I tell is, is a very much a positive one and a promising one because the opportunities that women have today is completely different and better than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. In the first place, you can get a divorce and be okay. (laughs) You can. It's like before people stayed in unhappy marriages, mainly women did because they felt there was no better option, financial option, um, you know, and so they just, they stayed. Um, First, for all of us listening, define kick-ass single mom. Oh, a kick-ass single mom. It's somebody that's living, you're living your life on your own terms. Uh, This is, it's really a call to action. I feel that we are in the middle of a revolution for women overall and definitely for single mothers. Um, Single mothers are no longer just divorced. In fact, 57% of millennial moms are unmarried. Divorce rates are at an all-time low. So I was very conscious of that while I am a divorced mom myself and my parents were divorced. The single mom today, that's becoming a mom. She was never married in the fir- in the first place. The idea of the two parent uh, heterosexual married nuclear family that's a statistical minority in the United States. So family overall in this country is telling a totally different story. So it's really about embracing family on your own terms, embracing that your family is whole. No matter what it looks like, if you're a single person, a married person, single mom by choice, gay, your family is whole as it is today. It means that you are currently or pursuing financial independence because that is the best financial security is the best thing that we know. There's a lot of research. We know that's the best thing for children is the best thing for financial security, not only for women, but for our economy overall, we need women to be working and earning and taking responsibility for their personal finances. And it also means that you are writing the rules of romance, that you are out exploring your romantic needs and your sexual needs in a way that is healthy and that it feels good to you. And you're not, adhering to old norms that are simply sexist and don't work for most women. This book was very much uh, personal for you. And um, tell us a little bit about your experience entering single motherhood. And this was not something that you anticipated. I think most people would say that too. Like no one expects to get divorced. No one expects to become a single mom, but there it happens. Um, and you were hesitant to even talk about your experience until you started the blog. And even when you initially started the blog, it was more about uh, from a journalistic reporting 
perspective. At what point did you decide I want to tell my story and and tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, well, you know what? My blog has... I do talk a lot about my own personal experience, but the I think the story that you're going for is... Um, I still even I, I kind of clench up right now talking about it because it was so painful. Um, and the most I've ever written about it is in the book uh, posted to my blog or my podcast. Um, so briefly, I was married to a nice guy. We had the kid and um, he had a, an accident. It was just this sort of freak accident that he had when he was on the job. He was in Europe. He fell off a cliff actually and um, suffered a traumatic brain injury. And it was just this horrible, horrible thing that happened to our family and especially to him. And um, I didn't know anything about brain injuries at that time, but I've learned a lot about them since. And the fact that he's even alive is just a miracle if you believe in miracles uh and the and then and then that today he is so far in his recovery i mean he's working full time and very involved with the kids but there was many years in the interim where he had a major personality change and he has a disability and it was so hard. It was a huge loss. I mean, our marriage just, I mean, it ended our marriage. Um, but, but, you know, it would be very tidy story if I said, Oh, it was wonderful. Everything was perfect. And then this horrible accident happened and our marriage ended and that nothing's that neat, right? It was a hard marriage. It was a very hard marriage and it was wonderful, but it was hard. And, you know, I have gone on to find my path um, and he's on a different path. <laughs> I know I'm speaking in generalities, but the reality is those years after that injury, we were together part of it and then we were separated and eventually divorced. And my son was born after the accident. My da- daughter was tiny. They couldn't have been smaller. It was so unbelievably painful and confusing. There's just no precedence. I eventually found a support group for people in my situation, loved ones, people with brain injuries. But before that, I felt so unbelievably alone because yes, lots of people get divorced with young children. Yes. Lots of people have their spouses with, um, you know, chronic illness or, but a brain injury is so singular and just unpredictable negative, the changes that people go through are always so negative. It was just unprecedented of anything I've ever gone through. And I have to tell you, it was so hard to write that. The introduction is very long in the book and it's all my story. And it was so hard for me to write. And when I, I was doing my audio recording of the book recently and I just lost it, like reading it out loud, it was so hard to go back there. Yeah. Um, so on one well, hand, I'm shy about saying it because it's so painful, but it's also, you know, I kind of like to speak to single moms and connect and it's such an unusual story in one way. But on the other hand, I've learned that it's not so unusual that a partner has a dramatic change, whether it's a psychotic break or they do something completely out of character that you can't predict. And, you know, in that way, my story has a lot of universality to it. I have found... Uh, just women married to people that they ultimately didn't know, which I think is part of the human story. We ultimately don't really know each other fully ever. Right. Wow. Well, I am very happy to, uh, in reading your introduction, I mean, it was a, 
uh, heart wrenching story, though it sounds like the two of you are friends again and co-parenting, which is unbelievable in some ways, uh, given the, the the stress and challenges that you both went through. So I think that's um, that's very commendable, Emma, for you and for him. But, you know, it is, it is. And I am proud of that. And I'm, again, that is not a perfect story. We just had a uh, text meltdown last yeah. week where we're still covering for <laughs> um, right. It's It's long. Life is long and it's hard. But I really, I have become a huge advocate for uh, shared parenting where both parents are expected to have equal time with the kids, uh, both be equally financially responsible for the kids. And that requires, so it's a cultural shift where we give women the freedom from having to be the sole or primary caregivers. And we also empower women to be equal earners for themselves and their families. And and it is, I'm telling you, I have been the almost entire primary caregiver of children. And I am in a situation now where I feel like I really have a co-parent and the benefits of it are like night and day. I'm going to get upset talking about it because it's so wonderful to be able to get along with my ex, you know, just stupid stuff. Like yesterday, he was picking the kids up from school. That's huge because that meant I worked a long day and I made money. Right. My daughter needed to go to the orthodontist. I hate doing that kind of crap. He took her. I forgot to put the headgear in her backpack. And so he went across my neighborhood and picked up the headgear. Those, if you have a partner to manage these little things and then to talk about the big things, to be at the sideline at the soccer game and to talk and chat and have a nice vibe. It is it's good for the huge. kids too. Oh, oh yeah. God. They, it shows children forgiveness and partnership and love. I mean, I've known my husband for 15 years. I mean, he is, he knows me for better or worse <laughs> and not to use a marriage euphemism, but like when I'm like, Oh my God, my mom is, I mean, he knows why my mom drives me crazy. I don't have to explain it to him. He is an old, old friend. It's complicated and it's hard, but it is worth it. It is worth the work to go there. Your subtitle for the book is Be Financially Independent, Discover Your Sexiest You, and Raise Fabulous, Happy Children. Financially, being financially independent tops all the other, uh, all the other, uh, subtitles. Is that, was that intentional? Yeah, it is. It is my number one message to women because if you are dependent, if you are putting a lot of energy into money coming from somebody else and specifically an ex, somebody that you are not romantically entangled with, somebody that you have a separate household from, you are dependent and you will never live to have your full potential as a person, as a woman, as a mother. What are some ways that single moms can achieve financial independence? Let's talk very specifically, because let's say you were a mom who wasn't working during the marriage or was working a little or suddenly you, maybe you were working, but now you're the single earner and um, you have to now make more. So how do you get to that place? How did you get to that place? Right. Well, that was my story. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this, because I know how absolutely horrible it feels to be dependent on somebody else's income. And my story, my ex made the money. I, I, uh, before I, we had kids, I had been a freelance 
writer, journalist uh, for a couple of years. And I did well for myself. I only did that for two years. And I think in my second year, I made $100,000, which I was very proud of. And then we had babies and we both assumed that I would stay home full time because that's what's good for babies, even though. I now know there's a lot of research that completely counters that. But I went there like so many women did. But you want to know what? My husband was very adamant that I'd be home full time. Like the kid needed me full time. That was his position. And it was a, one of the many points of contention in our marriage because for I couldn't have articulated why at the time, but I could not let my career go. I never 100% went full time home. And I remember I had a nanny for like 12 hours a week and I kept my freelance writing business going. Well, fast forward a year, my daughter was just over a year old when the accident happened. Um, and I just kind of knew that he had this big job and these really great benefits. I just knew that that wasn't going to work long term. Like whether we stayed together as a couple or not, he was not able because of his disability to keep this big job. I knew it. So I'm like, holy smokes, here we go. And I just got the child care and I went full time. So I, 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 there was that time and he was like, you know, kept threatening to leave. And I'm like, oh my God, he has all the money and he's not giving me any. And it was horrifying. My entire life and my baby's lives were attached to somebody who was unstable and had control of the money. And that is such a common story with women. And I want to save every single woman in the world from that feeling. So these are my lessons. I don't care if you are a single mom, you're thinking about being a single mom, whatever you are into your single motherhood and are broke. This is what you do. You decide that you are going to do this on your own. And I don't care if the law tells you that you are entitled to money or your lawyer or your family, your friends are telling you to take him to money court for all he's worth. No, the best gift you can give yourself your children and everybody that's watching you, the people in your office, your neighbors, other women is to be financially independent. Just make that commitment. And for news, for the record of all the child support that is owed, only 40% is paid. And the average sum is less than $300 per month. Hmm. So what happens is that women end up fighting. They fight in courts for this money. They they spend a lot of negative energy either keeping their income low enough so they're entitled to more child support. They are complaining to their friends and family about what a jerk they are. And it becomes a huge source of conflict between two co-parents who really need to be getting along. So over what? Right? So if, what if we took all that negative energy, all of that fighting and let it go and focus on earning as much as you can? Okay, so that's it. Commits is financial independence. Number two. Oh, well, hold on one second. Yes. A settlement is nice, right? And what if your husband is totally in the wrong or your partner is totally in the wrong and you you deserve, I mean, I'm, I get what you're saying. Yes, go pursue your financial independence. That should happen no matter what. But um, really, we should just give up on the court proceedings and the money that could potentially help you. It may You may or may not get it, but it's not worth the fight you're saying. Well, at some point you have to cut your losses, right? I mean, so what what happens? You spend all, because it is so arduous to go to court. It's not just that, oh, you go for an hour, you know, every couple of months. No, you are thinking about that. You're having arguments in your head about that. You're maybe paying a lawyer for it. You're complaining to your friends about it. It, Little things come out when you're talking to your kids about their dad that you later regret. It is not just about... you can be legally entitled all you want, but what do you really want for yourself? 
And sometimes it has to let, you have to let that go. You just have to let it go. You, you get where you put your energy, right? Sometimes you're so right. You're wrong, you know? And here's the thing. Okay. So then, okay. So uh, we could talk about, um, so shared parenting has become a real passion of mine. As I said, so both parents having equal time with the kids, right? So if that's happening, why should anybody be paying anybody child support? If both parents need to have enough real estate for the kids to have space to stay, everyone's paying for food and activities. Yeah. You need to divide up things like childcare and health insurance and extracurricular activities. Certainly those need to be the, but that's not child support. That's the kids expenses that have an actual dollar sum on them. But why should anybody be paying for part of your rent or the kids food? If they're also sharing those expenses at their house, So we really need a total paradigm shift right now. We are stuck in a very, very old equation, which again is rooted back in the 70s, 60s, 70s and 80s when we started having divorced families in mass. And it was, that was when women didn't have economic opportunities when like Farnoosh, you and I, we go out and we make a lot of money and we have so many rights, political rights and economic rights and access to capital. Women couldn't even have credit cards until 1973. So when we had alimony and child support laws, those saved women and children from, from the streets. Those were great feminist coups. The world is different today, but we're still stuck in this idea. When families separate, the moms get the kids, the dads pay, and then we are stuck in old, old gender rules. And it's time to change that. It's just time. You share something very interesting. When I was writing my book, When She Makes More, I was curious to learn more about the dating landscape for women who were their household breadwinners. And a lot of household breadwinners, as we know, are single moms. Um, You had mentioned that it was a benefit to you to be someone who was financially independent as far as the, you know, dating quality guys. Um, can you expand on that for us? And is that still true? <laughs> oh, it totally is. Oh, you want to know something so interesting? Here's a sneak preview. I'm going to have to write about this on my blog. Somebody, um, bunch of women started a thread. I had this really active Facebook group called Millionaire Single Moms. I think there's like 10,000 women in there now. And it's for women that think big. I don't care how much you make, but you have to be committed to your own financial success. Anyways, these women were talking about... Apparently, a lot of single moms refuse to date men whose first wives were stay-at-home moms. Hmm. And and the reasons are one, they, they, this is them talking. They believe that these men are spoiled because they never had to take care of themselves or any like personal logistics. And two, they, they feel the men don't get the, these women, the, these single moms, because the single moms are out there killing it. They're taking care of their careers and take care of their kids and they're living these full lives. And they feel that the men are intimidated or are not accommodating to these really dynamic women's lives. So there, I think there's all something to that. I, I think that's very interesting. Um, but my personal experience, um, I have had a lot of success with men um, that like me and the fact that I do have a lot going on professionally and financially. I have a, I've had a really wonderful boyfriend since the beginning of the year. So eight, nine months now. And his, you know, he's pretty bitter about the fact that his ex-wife wasn't bringing in money. And, um, and that's a very common story. Nobody's ever paid a nickel of alimony in the history of divorce and has not ended up really angry about it. Uh, so when they see a woman that's taking care of her, her business, they tend to be really appreciative of that. 
Man, I, 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 I'm so with you on that. Like, I think if there's nothing else we learned today, talking to Emma Johnson, whether you're single mom, married mom, not married, married, no kids, whatever your circumstance, if you're a woman, you should be earning some money. Maybe not the most money in the relationship, but earn your earn your money, right? I mean, like you have to. And it's not because you expect to get divorced. It's not because you're you don't want to be financially independent just because you might need to support yourself independently one day, but because that also is a win for you while you're married. Autonomy oh is a beautiful thing, financial autonomy, you know? Oh my gosh. It, if you don't have your own money, you have no power. You have no power, you know, so this is something that um, I mentioned your wonderful book, Farnoosh, in my book. It's a big book author orgy. (laughs) Um, But it was around a point that I made. So in my marriage, you know, from the outside looking in, and I thought that I was successful professionally. um, But the minute my marriage ended, my professional and financial success just skyrocketed. And it was it was very, it shook my self-confidence in a way because I realized that I had a lot of pent up success. I was keeping myself back for the sake of my marriage. I have, my ex-husband's a very masculine man and I like that. Like this, I'm not blaming him one bit. That takes two and we both participated in this dynamic. He's Southern European and he had this big glamorous job. He is a network cameraman and he traveled all over the world and he's just this macho guy and he was, you know, chivalrous and generous and he totally would smother me with like very romantic traditional things. And I like that, but that came with that. I just, in hindsight, I think on a very unconscious level, I knew that if I made a nickel more than him, it would challenge, if not unravel my marriage. And I remember there was this moment when, look, when you get divorced, everybody is at their worst. Everyone says all the things that they were too polite to say during the marriage. And because it's everything, it's a free for all of, of horribleness. And so one of the horrible things that came out, I remember him saying, he's like, you are so scared because you are such a loser. You know that you can't make this on your own. You are so dependent on me. You only made a hundred thousand dollars once one year. And I was like, Yeah, because you made more means that I was a loser. Like that was the dynamic that he wanted to perpetuate. You and was that a lose, lose situation for you, Emma. You were a loser if you made less. <laughs> you were a threat if you made more. Exactly. And that's not unique to me. And he, and this is the thing. You've done such an awesome job documenting all the challenges when women make more. But what I think is happening is that inside of marriages or even outside of marriage, when women are dating or, be, you know, whether they're in a relationship or single, that they hold themselves back unconsciously or maybe oh, even it's consciously. If there's studies. Because, yes, yeah. There's oh, data around ahead. this. Yeah. No, it was in my book. And it's great to hear that you also have made not great. I mean, it just sort of, (laughs) we don't want this to perpetuate, but the fact is that at least for women who are married to men who make more, if they feel like them earning more is a threat to the marriage, like it was, that's like how you felt, they will hold themselves back. They won't go for that promotion. They won't um, start that business or ask for a raise because they they put marriage before money and their own money and their own financial and career well-being, which is, I think, counterproductive at the end of the day. Um, because as studies also show, when there is income 
fragility in a household when only one person is making the bulk or all of the money, that actually leads to more divorce. Oh my gosh. And that is, I feel, and it's so insidious because I mean, my experience is, I think, so telling. I I mean, I like to think I'm a pretty evolved person and I was having success. Like I had bylines in all these major publications and from the outside looking in, you would never have guessed that I was, I was muting myself. But like I said, I mean, and part of it too, and this is a big message I want to share with all the women out there who are single moms or are facing single motherhood or, or maybe fantasizing about it is that I, this is what I see time and again. in this, this, these women is that they are so afraid and leaving a relationship, a marriage or a relationship, they're so afraid of being poor. Every single one of you is going, you are afraid of being poor. Everybody is, but they have such success. And I, it's that fear is so valuable. Do not avoid the fear. The fear propels women to do incredible things and they go on to have such incredible success. And it is, it is beautiful. And it happens. It's not random, weird, like off cases. This is like everyday normal occurrence. Women leave unhappy romantic situations and they go on to find their greater selves. Is there something, um, a complexity as a single mom that you have yet to figure out a solution for? Hmm. That's a great, that is a great question. I wish you'd asked me that before we talk, cause I would have thought about it some more. Um, a complexity or a challenge or uh, a question somebody has asked you in your uh, experience as uh, the creator of wealthy single mommy that you feel still could use some more better strategy or help that there maybe isn't enough support around a particular thing for single moms. Yeah. Well, okay. For women overall. Okay. A few, a few thoughts. Like one is that if we could get universal childcare in this country, that would be good for every family, every woman, every child, every man. That would be the deal changer. Um, Farnoosh, you and I live in New York City, and I just heard that our universal pre-K program is going to universal three, going to age three. And it's Ooh. like, if we can, yes, I just read that interview with Bill de Blasio. So if we can somehow perfect this model in New York and take it nationally, my, my original fantasy was that Hillary was going to get elected and then call me, even though I have like zero experience with public programs or childcare, call me personally. And I was going to like spearhead universal childcare in America, but we'll, we'll work on that. So that there's always 2020. <laughs> yes. Um, but so, so the and this is a again a woman's problem but what i hear women say often is like oh my god i need to be home with my kids childcare is expensive but i need to earn more money and that's that's the paradox and that's it true for all moms and super intensified for single moms and my answer to that is hire the childcare i'm so grateful for all this research that's coming out even in the last few years so a couple of years ago the university of maryland they did one of these meta studies where they looked at 35 other peer-reviewed published studies and they found universally that after age two, it does not matter how many hours a parent spends with their children. Mm -mm. Yes. It does not matter. It's quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that again, because this I feel is the most important gift that we can give women after age two, it does not matter how many hours you spend with your child. 
There is so much pressure to be the Donna Reed, uh, June Cleaver, and spend copious amounts of time with your kids. That serves no one. It keeps women shackled to their homes. It keeps them financially dependent, and that perpetuates for the rest of their lives. And the other piece of research that is so critical, it was Kathleen McGinn at Harvard, and she looked at families in 25 countries around the world. This is not specific to the U.S., 25 countries around the world, and found they studied uh families where there was a mom that was home full time and then families where the mothers worked outside the home for pay. And across the board, the uh, daughters of the moms who worked outside the home fared better academically. They went on to earn more and achieve more and higher uh, levels of management than their peers who had stay-at-home moms. The boys did just as well academically and professionally, but were more likely to care for others in their home. So as even boys and grew up to be men, they were more likely to care for young children or older people that lived in the home. And both groups were equally happy. So we know that the best thing for children is for mothers to be working outside the home and not to be spending copious amounts of time with them. Well, I think it's also that mothers need to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I have yet to meet a stay-at-home mother who is... Yeah, so elated (laughs) to be home. I mean, maybe in the beginning, but after a while, it gets redundant and boring and she misses out, uh, whether it's just, you know, her social life, um, her professional life. Um, I literally, I remember being at an event, a birthday party, and a mom of twin boys said to me, um, you know, how's work? And I said, great. She said, I said, how's work for you? She goes, well, I've been home since they were born and now they're three and my brain has turned to mush. <laughs> and that was a very awkward, like, what do you say from there? Right. I was like, Oh, I'm going to go get some cake, you know, because, and I feel like there is this whole, um, society of, of stay at home moms that are crying out for help. And some of them love what they're doing. Some of them love it. And I, I think they're my heroes because I don't think I could ever say that I love staying at home all day, every day with my kids. I think I would go crazy. Um, Well, they don't. Statistically, women are more prone to depression, uh, being angry. Women want to work. Like they want to work. They might want to work part-time, but they want to work and they want to have their own money. There's so much research around this. So I don't care what they're saying. That word, like words are meaningless to me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We know, I know it's so funny. Farnesha is like, have you ever read um, The Feminine Mystique? Yes, yes, yes. I never did until recently. You could have written that book today. We learned nothing. We learned nothing. Freddie Friedan in 1963 melted everyone's minds because those housewives in the 60s who were supposedly so happy were all like, they were strung out on barbiturates and like two o'clock cocktails because they were miserable. We we get really and we could go on for another hour talking about the the mixed messages that women get from media and and family and society and even their own inner voices. Like we we know what makes us happy, but we have all these headwinds. For example, something as simple as um, Food Network. You know, like I want to make all those dishes, but I don't have time. And and sometimes I feel like the you know the housewifery stuff um, is still 
still so much a part of what is fed to households and women um, as something to aspire to, you know, make that beautiful Thanksgiving dinner and have your house be super clean. And these women who are doing it all and um, that doesn't exist and those women aren't happy. And yet that's kind of what we feel there's pressure to do. And then, of course, if you come from a traditional family, a culturally traditional family, there's that pressure of what a man should be doing and what a woman should be doing in a marriage. Um, And so we have these very conflicting messages. And by the way, it takes time for our primitive brains to conform and adapt. Right. We're talking about millions of years of conditioning living a certain way, having a certain lifestyle expectation. It's not just even though like society and the data is showing that we'd be happier another way. Like it just, and we get it. The intelligent mind is like, I understand I'm there. I'm with you. I want that. But it's, it's slow moving. Um, and that's why your book is going to be, your book will be the feminine mystique in 50. (laughs) I hope so. But uh, I will, yes, no, I will say though, I will challenge one thing that you just said. We're not, fighting against millions of years of evolution. We are really just fighting from our own personal um, paradigm. So one thing to keep in mind, like when we're fighting all this mommy guilt, uh, working mom issue, women have always been financially critical to their households. And today, still in the world, women are working along the men in fields. They're running small businesses with their families or not, they might not have financial rights. They might not have legal rights. They might not be getting a paycheck because that is not culturally the norm or legally possible where they have or do live. They Or historically, women are running households when that was manual labor. Today, it is not manual labor because of technology. We are not beating our clothes on rocks in the river. We have automatic washing machines. We don't even need to vacuum anymore because we have Zumbas. All of that has been outsourced and housework is not a full-time job anymore. So really, but I do very much appreciate like our points of references are childhoods and maybe stories from one generation back Mm -hmm. and media messages. And they are hard. I mean, it's, I mean, I bought into it myself. I mean, that's probably why I'm so passionate about this because I'm like deeply angry at myself for buying into this. (laughs) And not everybody is nerds like you and me that research this stuff all day long. You know, it's uh, people are human very much to your point. Emma Johnson, thank you so much for being a role model, being a thought leader and a guide for all women out there, really, not just single moms. I think that whether, again, you're married or about to get married, it's important to know how to be financially independent, how to still raise fabulous, happy children and be your sexiest you. I think that this this book could be the the, the kick-ass woman, you know, <laughs> not just the kick-ass single mom. Thank you well, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. I enjoyed this as usual. Thanks so much to Emma for coming on the show. If you'd like to check out her book, again, it's called The Kick-Ass Single Mom. And her website is WealthySingleMommy.com. She's also on Twitter at Johnson Emma. All this information is back at SoMoneyPodcast.com. If you missed any of it and you want to download the podcast, the transcript, or send me an email for the Friday episodes. If you've got a question for me about money, about career, about single motherhood, just click on Ask Farnoosh at the top right. And you can either leave a voicemail or leave a little note. And I will add it to the queue for Friday's episodes. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope your day is so money.